Okay, we're gonna we're gonna look in Acts chapter six today. We're gonna look at lesson thirteen. So I'm gonna start off asking you a question. Okay. I just want to flat out ask you a question because every one of you has an opinion concerning what I'm going to ask you about. We have a presupposition, and that guides us sometimes as to whether or not we'll be in a church or whether we'll leave a church or so forth, okay? So let me ask you this question. When you think about church and church life, are there supposed to be any problems in your mind? Are there supposed to be any problems in your mind when you think about church life? Anybody want to answer that, honestly? Okay, Rhonda says not supposed to be, all right? Anybody else? There are problems, Bruce says, okay. Anybody else? Okay, uh, Sue says as long as you're a human being, you're going to have problems. Anybody else, what do you think? Now, how many of you know... People who will not go to church because just seems to be problems all the time. And I, I just don't want to be involved with that. How many of you know that kind of, okay? A lot of you, okay? How many of you um, have been in churches where there were problems and you're like, surely this is something. There's got to be something more than this, right? Have you been there? Okay, all right. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you because it's, it's almost like a delusion that we have, Okay. We almost have this utopian mindset that the church is supposed to be perfect and that there shouldn't be any problems. And if there are problems, it's actually a sign of dishealth, of it being an unhealthy church, a sign of greater dysfunction. We need to get out of there and save ourselves from this. Is that not what we think? Okay. Now, here's what I want you to understand. From the very beginning, you're going to see that in the church, there are problems. We've already discussed one of them before, and that was at the beginning of chapter 5, when God had to kill two people as an example, Adonias and Sapphira. Why did I say an example? Because surely there were other people who were doing the same kind of thing. Do you understand? There are problems, and, and, and in fact, can I be honest with you, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, when you look at all of Paul's letters, all of Paul's letters are addressing, are you ready for this? Problems. There's not a church that Paul's addressing that he started that doesn't have, are you ready for this? Problems. So problems are a part of church life. Can I tell you the number one reason why that is? The number one reason is because what Sue said. Churches are made of who? People, and let's just be honest, people are problems. Do you understand what I'm saying? People are problems. In fact, you could be the greatest person here. And everybody loves you. But it just so happened that the day you came to church, that Sunday that you came to church, is the one day out of the year that you have a bad hair day. Do you know what I'm saying? And that you just can't get along with anybody. Now the rest, the, the other 364 days of the year, you're wonderful. It just so happened that that bad day fell on church day. Do you understand? 
Whose fault is that? Is it the church? No. No, not necessarily. And what we're going to see is, is that sometimes problems arise because good things are happening. Let me say that again. Sometimes problems arise because good things are happening, and that's what we're going to see here today. Do you understand? Sometimes problems arise in a church because good things are happening. So there's no way to get away from it. Now the question is, how do we approach it? How do we deal with it? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the question. And some churches haven't learned how to deal with their problems. They become dysfunctional. And yes, a lot of times you just need to say, I'm out of here. I'm, you, there's no way to be, I should be here because of that. But let's look today. We're going to look at a problem that arises and look at how they address it. So look with me. We're going to look at, first of all, verse 1 of chapter 6. We're going to see the complaint. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So let's look at this together. This is, I think this is very interesting. This is very telltale. And again, this is very much an example that I, that what I point out to you is that sometimes problems arise out of good things, okay? Problems arise out of good things. So first of all, this happened during the events of Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. So this, this is happening around the same time when the apostles are being arrested, you know, when they're asking for boldness, people are being added to the church, okay? So things are going well. When you say they're going well, okay? People are coming to know Jesus Christ. People are being added to the church. So this problem arises during this time, okay? So the Hellenists, who are the Hellenists? Because we know who Hebrews are. What are Hellenists, okay? The Hellenists were Jews who were not native to Palestine who primarily spoke Greek. So these were Jews who had been influenced by Greek culture. Now, you have to remember... About sometime a few hundred years before this time, there was a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Okay. Alexander the Great was a Greek king who basically conquered the known world. And part of the known world that he conquered was Israel. And from that time on, there were kings that were, that were basically up until the Roman period, up until Rome took over, that basically ruled that area. And so Greek culture was very much a part of what was happening there. So you had Jews who, yes, they spoke Hebrew, and yes, they, they, uh, they maintained their Hebrewness, but you had other Jews that basically compromised with the culture of the time, and they, and, and, and they embraced Hellenism, or they embraced the Greek culture. Okay? They embraced the Greek, Greek culture. So you've got two different groups of Jews. Now, they're Jews. Let me just stop for a moment. They're Jews. The difference between them is, is those who held to a Hebrew culture and those who held to a what? Greek culture. 
Now, let me just stop for a moment. Do you think that's a recipe for a problem? Think about it for a moment. Why would that be a recipe for a problem? Two different cultures clashing, right? One speaks Greek, the other speaks Hebrew. One's holding to Greek values, Greek thinking, maybe reads Greek literature, goes to the plays. Greeks were into plays, weren't they? You remember that because back then, when they had a play, they didn't, they're not like actors today, they wore a mask. That's why when you see the symbols for theater, it's usually two masks, right? A, a, a happy mask and a sad mask. So there's this cultural divide and they're conflicting. All right, let's stop for a moment. You ever notice that that's sometimes a problem in churches? Because churches aren't supposed to be one culture, right? Churches are supposed to be embracing other people from what? Other cultures. Well, you say, we don't have very many cultures. We only got one culture here in Kirtwinsville, George. No, we don't. We actually have several different cultures. You may not be aware of it, but we do. They are actually, can I tell you what they are? More with us than anything, they're class cultures. They're not ethnic cultures, although at one time in Kerwinsville they did have ethnic cultures, right? There was the Italians and the Irish and the German and do you know what I'm saying? But we've kind of all intermingled now, right? But we still have, that is not, not true, we still have class cultures. And sometimes that can create problems in a church, right? That can create problems in a church. How do we address that? And, and so here we've got, this is starting to show that there's a problem here. You've got the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, the widows from the Hellenistic group were being neglected during food distribution. Now, here's what they did back then. Do you have to understand the most destitute in their society were orphans and widows? Because, first of all, you know, we would say, well, you know what? She just needs to go to Walmart or McDonald's and get a job. That's not the way it was back then. Women didn't do work. Women maintained a home. And it was the husband who provided for the home. And when the husband died, if there were no children, if there were no sons who were old enough and, and, and able to carry on to, to, to care for, for the widow or other family to care for the widow, she was in a bad way. And this was, and especially in a urban setting of Jerusalem, you could see that that were take place. So here's what the church would do. The church would do, carry on what the synagogue used to do. The synagogue used to do this, care for the widows in their midst. The church continued to do that. They continued to care for the widows in their midst. They had distribution. Whether it was food or for money, they had distribution to help out the widows. Now, here's the problem. Now, remember, I told you good things can create problems. Did I tell you? Remember I told you that? Good things can create problems. So they got lots of people being added to the church. So the number of people who are going to need to be ministered to, maybe in a practical way like the ministers, do you think that's increasing? Yeah, yeah, probably. Because first of all, the gospel would be very appealing to somebody who's destitute in their culture, right? It always is. 
Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is you've got these two different cultures. Now, who are you going to gravitate to naturally? People like you. So if you're distributing at the table and up comes Grandma Moses, and that we just call her Grandma. She's not my Grandma. We just call her Grandma, and she's just like me, and I'm distributing, you know, apples, and I'm distributing fruit that day. Do you think we would give her an extra piece of fruit? Do you think we would do that? Probably, yeah, because she's just like what? Us. Now, here comes Alice. Alice ain't just like us. You think you're going to do something special for Alice? You may not even give her the full amount because you want to help out people who are what? Just like who? You. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just like you. So the widows were being neglected, and so there was this complaint People were getting what? Upset, wouldn't they? Because it's an injustice, right? Like, well, come on now, I thought this is the church. Come on now. You're supposed to be ministering to my needs. Or to, to what, what? There's favoritism. Have you ever heard that in church? Favoritism? Okay. There's favoritism going on here. They ain't got time for us. Boy, now this is 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed, has it? Nothing's changed, okay? So the widows from the group were being neglected. So this resulted in a problem as the Hellenistic Jew, Jewish believers became upset. So this resulted, of course we would see that. We would see that, man, this is just going to create a problem, isn't it? Okay? Create a problem. So now we come to what the apostles decide to do about it. So look with me at verses 2 through 4. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, so let's look here. First of all, the apostles summoned the church together. Now, that's a big deal, isn't it? Because you're talking about there were thousands being added. They're meeting in the temple, so they gathered them all together. So you talk about a big church meeting, okay? Big church meeting. So here's what they expressed. Here's the dilemma. The dilemma for the apostles is this, okay? They expressed that it was not good that they ignore teaching in order to distribute food. Distribute food. Here's what's going on. Probably at some point, the 12 here, they got a major crisis happening within the church. They got a problem. They got people who are upset. People are making accusations. Listen, when people get upset, do they just go, Ugh! do they just do that? No, they don't just do that. They make accusations, right? And the ac accusations that are probably being made is, is you're favoring one group over another. So the apostles know that they need to do something. Now, here's the problem. Do you think they could have handled the distribution? Do you think they could have said, 
all right, we're going to have to organize this. We'll take care of it. Do you think they could have, should have done, they could have done that? Yeah, they probably could have done that. But here's what they decide. They decide, they express that it's not good for them to what? Ignore teaching. Because that's what their role is. They're the apostles. They're to teach and to preach and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said it's not good that they ignore the teaching in order to distribute food. Do you understand? It, it, it's not good for them to do that because they've got other more pressing responsibilities and the pressing responsibility is, is now they've got thousands of people they've got to train them and teach them and disciple them in what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They don't have time to distribute food. Because can I ask you a question? When you think about something like caring for widows, is that problem going to go away with a one-day meeting, with one-day distribution? No, that's a continual, ongoing what? Issue that has to be dealt with, right? That has to be dealt with. So here's what happens. The church was to select a group of men to administer the distribution of the food. So what happens is, is they decide, look, you know what? Here's what we've got to do. We can't ignore what we're supposed to do. Rather, it is the church's responsibility to pick from itself men who will be over the food distribution so that this problem can be solved. Now, let me just stop, give you a little historical note here. It is from this passage, and it's particularly from verse 2 uh, and 3 and 4, that we get the office of deacon. Because the word deacon means to serve. To serve. And, and so we get the office throughout church history. They've gone back to this passage to pull out this is what a deacon is. Okay? A deacon is to minister and distribute concerning the needs of the congregation so that the apostles could teach or later the elders could teach. Do you understand? They were to devote themselves to that. Now here's what happens though. Here's what happens. Different groups. How many of you have been in a church where they had deacons? Okay, all right. Probably all of you are from a Baptist perspective. Some of you maybe not, but maybe you were from a Baptist perspective. Those of you maybe who weren't from a Baptist perspective, maybe you had deacons in an Alliance church or, or a Methodist church or something, that's fine. Okay, but for, for those, of our, well, those of you who are the Baptists here, okay? So let me explain to you what happened with Baptist churches. Technically, when you look at Baptist churches historically, Historically, Baptist churches have had two offices, the offices of elder or pastor and deacon, okay? Offices of elder and pastor and deacon. In, in back a couple hundred years ago, there was always a plurality of them in a church. So you had several elders and then you had several deacons. And the elders guided the ministry aspect of the church, teaching, doing that type of ministry, and the deacons basically took care of everything else, all right? Now, here's what happens. You come to the United States, you begin to plant lots of Baptist churches, but you plant them in rural areas, 
And here's what happens. How many elders do you think those churches have? How many? One, and that's usually who? The pastor. Do you think there might be another? No, not really. Because few men qualify to be elders. Do you understand? But then you've got many who can qualify to be what? Deacons. Now here's what happens. Because we're congregational in our system, if you're a Baptist church, what happened over time is that the office of deacon in a Baptist church kind of morphed. You understand what morphing is? Okay? It kind of molded into something else that wasn't necessarily biblical. And that is that a deacon in a Baptist church almost became a hybrid. Now, does everybody understand what a hybrid is? Like, for instance, a mule is a hybrid. Anybody know why a mule is a hybrid? Because it's part what? Horse and part donkey. Okay? Therefore, you get a mule. Well, a Baptist deacon became a hybrid. In what sense? Because it became part elder and part what? What a biblical deacon is. Do you understand? And, And it was almost of necessity. Because in a lot of times, when they didn't have a pastor, who's got to make, they've got no elders to make decisions. The deacons would make the decisions, right? And I, I, grew, I grew up, you know, when I got saved, I was in a church like that where they had deacons. Now, the, here's, here's the one. When the church I got saved in, where I was baptized, they had deacons, are you ready for this, for life. You were a deacon for life. Whoa. You know, you know what I'm saying? Wasn't no two-year stint. You were, once you were a deacon, you were it. Okay? You were it. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Okay? And all they had was deacons, and they only had one elder who was the what? The pastor. Okay? So I want you to understand, this is from this passage that we get the concept of deacon. But the concept of deacon from this passage, which is what a true concept of a deacon is, is kind of like our trustee. You understand, our trustees fulfill a spiritual role, but they're not guiding the direction ministry-wise of the church, but they are guiding and making sure everybody else, like they handle benevolence, they make sure taking care of the property and things like that. That's what a deacon is, okay? That's what a deacon is, a biblical deacon. We just happen to call them trustees, okay? We just happen to call them trustees. Now, so the church was to select a group of men to administer the distribution of the food. Now, here's what I want you to see about this, and this is very interesting. Even with their deacons, from the very beginning, they set down qualifications about what kind of men should hold these offices, okay? So the men must have a good reputation. Why do you think that's important? Okay, so people trust them, okay? That's one aspect of it. Men must have a good reputation so people trust them. So people within a church would say, oh yeah, he's a good guy. Yep, he's a good man. There's another reason why they have to have a good reputation. Not just for inside the church, but because of what? Yeah, outside the church, Rhonda, that's right. People outside the church can say, yeah, that, you know, so-and-so is a deacon. Now, how many of you ever have had somebody say something negative about a church because of a leader? 
You, do you know what I'm saying? Because, oh, that guy there is a scoundrel. Would you believe he's a leader in that church? I'm not going to that church. Did you understand? So right off the bat, right off the bat, the, the qualifications are, first one, that he's got to have what? A good reputation. All right? Here's the other one. The men must be marked by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The men must be marked by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the second qualification. Okay? So I want you to hear me. Here's the second qualification. These men who are leaders, who are going to be leaders, have to be men who, who don't just live the Christian life, but they're spirit-led men. Now, we talked about this. That was kind of mentioned before about what is spirit-led. Basically, it means it's people who are walking closely with Jesus Christ and are obedient to what he's saying. So what, they have to have a good reputation. Number two, they've got to be spirit-led. Do you understand? Led by the Holy Spirit. And it's very evident that they're led by the... These are godly men. So they're godly men. So now, here's the third thing. The men must be marked by wisdom. All right, let's stop for a moment. What do you think that means? Huh? All right, they should know better, okay? All right. Common sense. Anybody else? They're going to make smart decisions, okay? What? A, anybody else? Okay, would you say there's a difference between having an opinion and having wisdom? Now, how many of you have ever met opinionated people? Okay, let me ask you a question. Do opinionated people make good members of a board? No, because that opinion may not necessarily reflect what? Wisdom. What I have found, to be honest with you, what I have found in all the years of my pastoring now and in working in ministry, whether it was at Liberty or here, is that I have found that sometimes the quiet guys are the most wise guys. Now, let me just stop for I just said wise guys. I'm not talking about the movie Mobsters, okay? I have found that sometimes the guy who sits back, when he speaks, you need to listen. Because sometimes the, the, the wisdom actually tells them to hold their tongue, right? You, you think about Proverbs. So the, the reality is, listen to me, you want people who are of good reputation, who are led by the Spirit, who walk with God, and number one, who are wise. Not just common sense, but they have wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have wisdom. These must be men marked by wisdom. You know, here, I'm going to be honest with you. I... Uh, I can say this, maybe, and don't prove me wrong. Um, I think we've got boards of men like this right now in our church. Um, and that's pretty humbling, because sometimes I'll go and meet with other pastors, especially not in our area, but when I go to a conference or something, and I'll, you know, you're at lunch, and you hear pastors talking, and it's like, you know, talking about this, and they're bored. And, and I'm like, I almost feel embarrassed because I don't want to say to them, man, what are you guys talking about? I don't have any of those experiences. I've got good men in our church. Do, do you know what I'm saying? And we should be thankful for that. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? We should be thankful for that. So 
the, here's the qualifications, all right? So then notice now, here's what their responsibility would be. These men would oversee the distribution of food to the needy. So right off the bat, this is what they're going to be. They're going to be the ones who are in charge to distribute food to the needy. And so here, why? So that the apostles would devote themselves to prayer and teaching. Prayer and teaching. So notice now, here's the last two verses as we're going to spend the rest of our time, the church's response. So this is where it is amazing to me how the church responds, okay? Look at verse uh, 5 through 7. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Okay, so here's first of all, the response. The church was pleased by the apostles' decision. Right off the bat, the church is saying, okay, we understand you've got a job to do, but you're going to set something in motion to take care of this. Because everybody there understood that the apostles had a responsibility. Do you understand? They had to take care of something. So right off the bat, they're like, okay, but you are going to address the problem. Do you understand? You are going to address the problem. So if, you, if people know that a problem is going to be addressed, they're going to be okay with it, right? Typically, yes. So the church selected seven men who were Hellenists. When you look at these names, they may not stand out to you very much because you might be saying, boy, these are some wild-looking names. Well, what I want you to understand is, is these are Greek names. These are not Jewish names. So the seven men who were chosen, isn't this wise? The seven men who were chosen happened to be from the group who was what? Being ignored. Okay? They chose seven men from the group who were being ignored. So the seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Who prayed and laid hands on them. So then I want you to notice the impact. With the problem dealt with, the church continued to expand. With the problem dealt with, the church continued to expand. And it's amazing. Look at their expansion. They're even seeing some, many of the high priests are becoming obedient to who? The faith, the Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? What an impact. Okay. We're going to see next week that problems are going to continue, not within the church, but from outside the church. We're going to look at that next week. 